This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Think about Lawrence. Fires to the end zone. Touchdown! Alabama wins! Elliott. Dodge the eye of this national championship win. A deep throw by Lawrence. A lot of contact. Justin Ross broke free from it. He's down in the end zone. Touchdown, Clemson. All right, welcome into episode 59 of Press Pass. I am your host, Kaylee Anderson, alongside my co-host, Joshua Perry. This podcast, of course, being brought to you by Untuck It. And it is episode 59. I thought this was really cool because it's the last of 2019 for us because we are recording this on a Tuesday. And episode 60 will be our first one in the new year. Is that cool or what? I think it's really cool. Um, I'll just say, kind of jumped on the boat late here with the podcast, but I have been enjoying it so much. It's so much fun to talk about all the cool things that go on in college football. I enjoy talking sports with you anyway. So this has been a daggone pleasure. Yeah. And I truly appreciate it because, you know, as, as every year has its different challenges and different things come about um, in, in a year, I think it was really cool that first of all, you were willing to come on and do this because you're a very busy guy and we appreciate your insight because I think it's something special when when you have a player's insight, especially coming from you, who also does stuff at the Big Ten Network. So we appreciate it. I wanted to ask you really quick, how was the holidays? It was good. Um, it was busy. We ended up doing like four Christmases because my girlfriend's got a stepmom and her dad and her mom. And then we went with my family as well. She's got a five-year-old sister and a three-year-old sister, so we wanted to make it special for them. So it was hectic, and then you know we were right out of town two days later, but it was so much fun. I enjoy spending time with family. It's like one of the, the things that I really take pleasure in outside of sports, so mm-hmm. um, it was really special this year. I'm glad you got to spend a lot of time with your family, and just to let you know, Joshua is in LA because he is covering the Rose Bowl between Wisconsin and Oregon, so if you have a chance on Wednesday, on New Year's Day, tune in. Definitely going to be a really good game. So let's get into some of the bull talk because these games have been happening here throughout December. And I just wanted to run over the conference bull records really quick. Big 10, 3-1 and one, pending that Wisconsin-Oregon game. Big 12, 0-3 right now in bowl games. Pac-12, 2-3. SEC three and one, and then the ACC four and three. Surprised by any of that? Because I know the Big Twelve. I, I hate to hate, but again, I said I told you so. Yeah, I mean they they don't play defense. I don't think anyone's surprised. What we expected was that the the Big Ten, the SEC, were going to do well in bowl games. I think the ACC number is surprising, but it's also not because they were in a lot of lower level bowl games. Mm-hmm. 
just, you know, and they had a ton of teams and bowls too. Like nobody was really great except for Clemson. Everybody was just like kind of middle of the road there. But the, the Big 12, I agree with you. It's like, I'm not trying to hate either, but they have to do something within that conference. They, uh, they don't play defense there. Their last few times getting in the playoff, they have absolutely crapped the bed. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's been pretty embarrassing. So it is what it is. But yeah, it's just kind of what we expected out of some of the conference bowl records. I will get to the college football playoff in just a second for the semifinals. But I did want to mention and or ask, I should say, what was your favorite or most surprising bowl game so far? It's a really good question. Um, and we still have Minnesota and Auburn coming up, which I know you're excited. I know, and that's going to be a good one. I want, And I, I'm curious to see how the Big Ten does against the SEC. Like, you've got Minnesota playing Auburn, like you said, and Minnesota's a, the lower-ranked team, so it'll be curious to see how they rise to the occasion. You've got Michigan and Alabama. It's a similar concept in that game. Blue Blood programs. Now, what I was really glad to see, just for the sake of my job and the conference that I root for, is Michigan State, yeah. who is absolutely terrible, yeah. beating Wake. And, and Wake was like the third best team in the ACC. That was really cool yeah. to see that. So it, I, I think some of the matchups have been intriguing. I think this New Year's Eve, New Year's Day, January 2nd is going to be fantastic. Yeah, though. I think it, – and it's cool too. I like that because they changed the college football playoffs this year to not being on New Year's Eve. And so what I think you got out of it is everybody was watching those semifinals, but then you looked forward to having a ton of games after that as well. So I think the way that they switched that around too was was beneficial. Um, speaking of the college football playoff semifinals, let's start with LSU just hammering Oklahoma 63-28. to 28. I know we spoke about Oklahoma getting in as that four seed. We kind of knew it was going to happen, but at the same time, we also knew that this might be the outcome, and here we go. Yeah, and and so I'll I'll say this: there, this year it was important to get the one seed yeah. because you saw how close the matchup was, and we'll get to that game because there were some like that's one of the games the the semifinal between Ohio State and Clemson where it was literally like yeah. a few plays literally made the difference in that game, but. It was that close in that matchup where you knew that whoever was the one seed playing number four was going to have the way yeah. easier path to the championship game. And I, I truly believe that Oklahoma had no business yeah. being in there except for conference champ in their record. To me, I feel like any one of Oregon, the way that they played in their conference championship game, to be completely honest, I think that Wisconsin would have had way more success. And I've watched them play. I just have a feeling about that. No one will know. Yeah, I mean, LSU was dominant offensively, and they've been doing that all year. But truly, their defense ended up stepping up, too, and it was a matter of, uh, you know, like they just get the ball back for the offense and let them do their thing. And then they had Oklahoma kind of playing outside of their game plan. But question now on Lincoln Riley, too, as a big game coach, who really is he? And then is this a time for him to just cut his losses and go to the NFL? Because you have a bunch of first-round quarterbacks that you you coached up, you made it to the college football playoff, haven't won any games. Now you can just take that and say, you know what? It's been enough in college. See you guys later. 
Dallas Cowboys, whoever it is. Yeah, like, hey, and that's always at this time of year something that you start to wonder because there's already obviously college football coaches being interviewed for the Cleveland job. I've seen, you know, there's going to be even more vacancies that are going to come up in the NFL. So that's always a decision in that part of your career for some of these guys that they have to make these decisions and see if they're even right for that level. Let's go back to this game because I did want to talk about Joe Burrow for a second because the legend just keeps growing with this guy. He was the first to throw seven touchdowns in a college football playoff game. He had a total that he had seven in the first half. He had a total of eight touchdowns because one was a rushing. Were you surprised at all by what he was able to do in this game? And he just continues to do it. It's almost like flawless. Yeah, I, I was surprised at how dominant they were early on. Like, they just didn't miss a beat. Offensively came in there. He was distributing the ball around to everybody. It seemed like everybody yeah. was getting their touches. He, nobody expects a quarterback in a semifinal game to throw seven touchdown passes in the first half of the game, score eight touchdowns in general. Um, and I think that speaks to the dominance of LSU's offense, but also literally how terrible the Big 12 is at defense. And to put that in perspective, I, I was talking to my college roommate who's a scout for the ah. Patriots, and I asked him before the matchup, I'm like, how bad really is the defense down there? Because he's the, uh, the area scout for the Southwest, so he spends a lot yeah. of time at the Big 12 schools. And he said that Oklahoma's defense was terrible. And then he listed all the traits that made them bad. He said their DBs don't track the ball well, which is a terrible trait for DBs. He said their linebackers are not instinctive and they miss a lot of tackles, which literally you want a linebacker to be instinctive and make tackles. It's their whole job. And then he said their defensive line has short arms and can't get off blocks. And we literally saw that manifest in the game. So overall, though, Joe Burrow is like, we're going to look back at this season that he had and it's going to be like one of the legendary yeah, seasons absolutely. in uh, Interesting stuff that you said there about the defense uh, coming from a scout, of course, too. But yeah, Joe Burrow, uh, probably the first round in this upcoming NFL draft that is taking place in Las Vegas. Let's move over to the other semifinal game, one that you were obviously following closely and covering. Ohio State falling to Clemson very close, 29-23. I know there is a lot of controversial things in this game, including let's start with that targeting call. What were... Uh, your thoughts on that? Yeah, so I'm I'm going to sound like a uh, a bitter fan, and I try to put my analyst cap on, but it's it's hard to separate the two in a game of this magnitude, and then you see some extremely questionable officiating by the letter of the law. Mm-hmm. That is targeting. You know, he he put his head down. I think that was the the big separator because if he would have made contact to Trevor Lawrence's helmet area with his face mask, they would have said, well, that's incidental. It wasn't forcible. It wasn't the crown of the head. And then they, you know, you're probably able to get around it, but he dipped his head. The issue with that now is why does the penalty have to be so punitive? Because Trevor Lawrence returned to the game. He was fine. um, You know, it wasn't a malicious hit necessarily. It was just a, a hit with the crown of the helmet. And you feel like that play should not have been so heavily penalized And in a a game of that magnitude, especially that punishment where a guy can't return and then the next play, they go after the backup that just came in and then he gets a 15 yard pass interference. Like it's, it's the whole, and and so you sit here and you're like, can you make two levels of targeting? Non-football people say it's hard to judge intent. If you're a football player, if you're a football coach, you can absolutely judge the intent of a defender. And it's just, it's disappointing that that play had to be so impactful in such a big game. Well, and you said impactful, and that's the perfect use to word or word to use because Trevor Lawrence pretty much said that changed our momentum right there. Yeah, and and let me 
let me posit this real quick. So if the point of the targeting penalty is to make the game safer, if a player is on the receiving end of a targeting hit, so mm-hmm. you're the offensive player in most cases and you were targeted, shouldn't you have to go to the medical tent and go through concussion evaluation? Because I feel like that's one of the things that we never see happen is these offensive players will get smacked. It'll be targeting. You know, they'll get up a lot of times and they'll go off to the sideline, back to the huddle or whatever. But we never yeah. see that concussion evaluation. And that's where I kind of think like it is it, it puts handcuffs on defenders. And I'm a former defender, so I'm already a little bitter about it. And then it goes against my team. But I think we should in the offseason have a major reworking of that penalty what happens after the penalty. And I think we should, we should evaluate how punitive it is. Yeah, it's a good point right there. Uh, Another one I wanted to touch on that kind of changed the lookout of the game, the outlook of the game is that scoop and score was reversed. I actually couldn't believe that. Yeah. That's one of those where it was ruled on the field, a touchdown. And I don't know if you could make a case that it was indisputable. I don't think you can. Yeah. And so that was literal seven points taken directly off the board there in such a questionable moment where, like, again, non-football people make rules and you're trying to figure out what the hell a catch is. And to me, yes, looked like a catch. I mean, dude took three steps. He had the ball, like, I mean, clenched in his hands. You ask the question, if he caught that ball in the end zone and that same thing happened and somebody swatted the ball out at the end, they probably still ruined that a touchdown. Mm-hmm. So that would have been a completed catch if it was in the end zone, but it's not a completed catch in the field. Yeah, I I was a little bit head scratching on that one just because I think you need to have, you know, refutable evidence that like you have, you can overturn it. I just didn't see that right there. There, you know, Joshua, as much as there were, there were definitely calls in this game that, you know, maybe changed the outcome. You do have to to look at this Ohio State team and say, okay, they did have some red zone issues though. Um, they weren't able to to put points on the board yeah. in the red zone. And then, you know, Justin Fields, who threw one interception all season, threw two in this game. I mean, what happened in those two incidences? So I'll talk about the red zone. Um, I see a lot of fans who were like, well, the red zone play calling wasn't very good. And I will disagree with that till the cows come home. It was good. J.K. Dobbins, and I love the kid to death. I think he had a hell of a season. He was very important to that team. Um, yeah. He dropped two touchdowns, literally. And that's... 14 points off the board right there. It's a difference in the game. I think the play calling was fine. I think what happened, though, is people were asking, well, why were they throwing the ball in the red zone instead of running it? And the answer is the field shrinks in the red zone. That safety, whether you're playing single high, you can play too high in the red zone because both of the safeties are so close to the box that you have your run defenders right there. And since Justin Fields wasn't a big run threat, they had to rely on the pass game to loosen up the defense a little bit more in the red zone. Now, they called plays at work. They just weren't executed. Sure. And so that bites. Another one that a lot of people are bemoaning is that the roughing the, the, the kicker. And there's controversy on that, whether it should have been roughing or running into. We could debate that till the cows come home. But a lot of people didn't like the aggression to go after a punt there. And from my time at Ohio State, Urban Meyer was notorious for going after punts in that yep. part of the field. In that type of situation, you steal a possession, maybe score points quick. And the reality of the situation is Chris Olave uh, was the block guy. He was right there, didn't get it. Cam Brown should have pulled up. And uh, his his fundamentals on that play were abysmal. And it's just not how it's coached. 
And so now it looks like a, a coaching error on Ryan Day's part. And it's like, okay, well, if it's a coaching error, that's or a bad play call, like you're, you're judging outcomes there because if he blocks the punt, it's a good play call. If he just runs past him, doesn't run to the kicker, that's a good play call. And the reality is no coach calls a punt, so the outcome is a roughing penalty. Anyway, uh, I mean, there were so many opportunities in that game. And, and the fact of the matter is, too, when you're playing Clemson, they've got speed, they've got a great quarterback, the margin of error becomes that much thinner. So you have to get those Yeah, it was it was a tough one, I know, for you probably. I mean, anybody who who follows the Ohio State program and, you know, I've covered them, so I always kind of have a, a special place for them. It was a, It was a tough one to watch, but... You know, it happens. That's college football. Um, we're we're going to talk a little bit more about Clemson in a moment. Uh, but first, let me let me interject because I, I, you know, I went off on that whole tangent. I didn't even talk about Justin. Oh yeah, uh, with the interception. I thought yeah. Justin played great. Yeah, I thought Justin played great. I really do. I think he was a leader. I think he's tough and gritty. The the first interception he threw, I think, to be honest, is a matter of he never had to face a defender who could cover mm-hmm. that much space playing in the Big Ten. Um, and, and a lot of people don't face that type of player until you get to a playoff game because they don't make players like Isaiah Simmons and some of the players Clemson has on their defense. And he probably would have got away with that against a lot of other teams. It just didn't happen. Um, the last play oh, is a heartbreaker yes. because it was it was a complete miscommunication. I um, know. And he and, talked about that. Yeah. And it, the, the the shame of it is. Uh, if Olave would have broke off his route the way Justin would have thought, it probably was a touchdown. If Justin yeah. would have padded the ball a half a second longer to see Olave was breaking out the other way, it was an absolute touchdown. And those plays yeah. make – and it's two young players too, but they make the difference in the game. Yep. Well, we know that there's not going to be a lot of fall off there because uh, Ohio State continues to prove that they, like Clemson, are um, have been a very consistent program. Well, have you ever seen an untucked button-down they do look bad. Why? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there is Untuck at the original button-down shirt that is actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untucked shirts always fall that perfect untucked leg. So with more than 50 plus fit combinations, Untucked shirts look great on tall, short, slim, and athletic guys of all ages. You can find your favorite Untucked style online or check it out on uh, one of their 80 brick and mortar stores. Choose from styles like wrinkle-free button-downs, soft uh, super flannels, outwear, and more. So with your Untucket, you can have shirts that never look baggy, bulgy, or too long, or too big again. Their website, really easy to use. They even have a whole page devoted to helping you find your fit. So whether you're shopping for a gift or just trying to find a relaxed style of your own, Untucket is the way to go. Visit untuckit.com. Use the code BLUE for 20% off at the checkout. That is untuckit.com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. So we said we were going to speak a little bit more about Clemson because we've got to give them a little bit of love since they they did move on to this championship game. They've been there. Uh, Dabo Sweeney, I'm sure, motivated his guys all season long because they kind of flew under the radar being in the ACC. How do you look at this and how do you think their chances stack up against an LSU team that has been really simply unstoppable? Well, here's the reality of the situation is if you, if you ask, and I'd said it before the game and I believe it even more emphatically after watching the semifinal game, LSU or uh, Clemson played against Ohio State is I think those were the two best teams in America. Absolutely. The two most complete teams in America. Um, you saw how 
razor thin the margin was for who was going to win that game. And to be completely honest, I think that Clemson is going to beat LSU uh, for the fact that they have an elite quarterback in college football. And Trevor Lawrence, as good as Justin Fields is, he's a better quarterback than Justin Fields right now. Just an elite player. They have a good run game and a running back who's very good. They're a well-coached team with great fundamentals. But the thing that I think gives them an edge is you talk about up front. They're not great. I don't think LSU is great up front either. Their defense is the fastest defense I've watched in college football this year, period, period. Wow. They, I mean, okay. they have speed at every level of the defense, and they play fast, they play smart, they play fundamentally sound. And I think that's going to be – because LSU has played some good defenses in the SEC, and let's not try to uh, downplay any of that. But I don't think they've seen players at every level of the defense that can run the way they can at Clemson. Yeah, and this is a Clemson team that, let's let's be clear on this, lost a lot of defensive players last year that went to the draft. Yeah. So this is a team that may it may not even have as good of a defense as last year, but like you're saying, you've watched them, and in the level of you know how they play defense, which is fast, which we've talked about is a very important, I guess, thing to have nowadays when you're a defense. Um, so you're going with Clemson in this one. I, I like it. Yeah. I like this. And, I, you know, Clemson was held way below their uh, season average in scoring in this last game, as was Ohio State. And I think you could point as uh, probably two of the top five offenses in that game. LSU's got the best offense, but I think that they're going to be held a lot lower than their season average. And Clemson's going to be able to probably score more points on LSU's defense than they did on Ohio State's, um, just comparing those two defenses. So I think this is going to be the biggest challenge LSU has had in terms of putting more weight on their defense to get crucial stops if their offense isn't nearly as explosive as we've seen them been this year. Nobody's been able to get extreme pressure on Joe Burrow. Uh, He usually can get out, make plays. So what's the key to getting pressure on this guy and shaking him up a little bit? To be completely honest, it's one of those uh, games where um, you have to have that push on the interior of the defensive line Mm -hmm. um, so he can't step up in the pocket and then just hope that he holds the ball long enough that it gets cloudy. And you might be able to get a hit. You might be able to force him into a bad throw. I don't think that um, blitzing Joe Burrow is a good idea at all because of how elusive he is and uh, how good of a decision maker he is. So leave more guys in coverage, take away some of the soft spots in the zone coverage, maybe have a little bit more help in man to man and then just tell your guys up front like, Our goal isn't necessarily to get a sack. Our goal is to make sure that he can't extend plays the way that he's been doing and make him throw decisive passes into uh, the confusing looks that Clemson has in the back end of their defense. Surprised at all that Clemson has been able to start to build kind of something special there down in the ACC? Yeah, um, to be completely honest, I I don't know how they've been able to do it. I personally, uh, I think they have a bag man down there, but you know. It is what it is. Um, Think about it. Like here's Alabama has been a blue blood program for, you know, 60 years. Let's call it long time. You know, and you look at some of these teams, that's how they do. Clemson has had Dabo for the longest. He was known for losing the big game. And then all of a sudden they can win big games. It's not a big city. There's not a ton of money. Guys don't live in Clemson once they're done playing. Unlike, you know, yeah. Austin, Texas or Columbus, Ohio. Yep. And and so you just ask the question, like, how are they able to consistently recruit five star guys? And part of it is Dabo's personality. I think another part of it is they got a nice little system working on them. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think you're the only one who thinks that either. So I, I know this is just, you know, the 
the beauty of college football, we don't know really what goes on at all these places, well, right? I'll, I'll say this too, um, and not to try to downplay anything that's going on at uh, LSU right now because they're doing it on the field, but people tend to forget Eddie O uh, was at Ole Miss, and there was a lot of stuff going on there. And he was at USC, and USC is known for um, you know greasing up recruits. And guys who I've talked to in the coaching profession, they do not doubt that they have a nice little system working down there too, because this recent resurgence obviously has a lot to do with Joe Burrow, but you know, he, they think that it's a little shady down there as well. Yeah. No. And this, I mean, I don't know if we'll ever know, like, or everybody will be exposed. We see it once in a while, but it's definitely, this is what I notice. I notice Ohio state definitely gets all the the negativity their way and certain programs, a couple of them always get all the headlines when it comes to that. But there are a lot of these other programs that you see what they're doing and you start to wonder what's going on behind the scenes, but they're not getting that negative publicity. So I just had to add that in, but I wanted to really quickly shift to segment three because I just love adding in when I I love talking about Texas because it gets you fired up. And here we are, Texas, Tom Herman, (laughs) <laughs> hiring already hired Chris Ash as the def- defensive sure. coordinator who of course had ties to Ohio State now they hire away the offensive coordinator yeah so I'll, I'll I'll speak on this real quick I I've talked to some sources um extremely close to Chris Ash and it, it seems that he was offered the job at Ohio State um but mm-hmm. the reason he did not take the job was not because he thought Texas was a better job it was because Chris Ash is a quarters coverage kind of guy. When I was playing at Ohio State, that's the defense he coached us in. Then, you know, went off to Rutgers, did his thing there. He was on the street. During the season, he asked if he could be a defensive analyst for Ohio State. They said, no, we're, you know, we're cool on our support staff. He went down to Texas. He did that with Tom Herman's staff. Ohio State brought him in yep. for an interview. They said, we love what you do. We think you're a great coach, um, but we're not running quarters. We're running our single high three deep man-to-man defense. And Chris, at this point in his career, is a quarters guru. And he's not going to sit back and run somebody else's defense when Texas and Tom Herman are offering him probably a boatload of cash, but also the ability to run exactly what he wants. So um, that makes sense there. I don't know why Texas people are acting like they got over on us and they got the better coach. It's just it wasn't a coaching fit, and that happens in football. Yursic was a similar situation. Uh, where he and Ryan Day were at odds just a little bit on offensive philosophy and play calling. And he's not known as a bulldog recruiter, and that's what Ohio State wants. That's what Urban Meyer did. That's who Ryan Day is as a recruiter and as a head coach. And the fact of the matter is Mike Yurcich was coaching in the Big 12 before he came to Ohio State. He's very comfortable probably recruiting in that area. He has uh, ties. He understands that conference probably a little bit better than the Big 10. So, again, when you talk about coaching fits – that is absolutely a better fit. Plus, he wasn't calling plays at Ohio State. Ryan Day called plays on game day. And if you're an offensive coordinator, your resume is what's going on on the field. Well, how can you build your resume if you don't get to call plays? So again, it's another one of those situations where you evaluate all of the variables. And it's not that, you know, Texas is getting over on Ohio State or, you know, Texas is back hashtag hook them. It's just the fact that, you know, those were better situations for certain coaches and Ohio State's probably not bitter about it. They'll get whoever the hell they want as coordinators and probably, you know, win 11, 12 games again next year and be looking at a playoff situation. And Texas has to probably win 10 games or conference championship for them to not fire Tom Herman. That's the reality of the situation. 
do these two guys give Tom Herman a better chance of keeping his job? I think they give him a, a decent chance. I just I don't see the talent on Texas's defense, period. And I know they were banged up, but I just don't see it. They don't have the guys up front to run the 4-3 uh, defense that Chris Ash wants to run. So that becomes problematic. And uh, is, is Ellinger returning or not? Uh, I got an effort I back. But yeah, no, I know. I if, was actually if thinking he's, about that. If he's not back, then it's – I mean, what are you? Then gonna it's going to be, yeah, yeah. That's a complete rebuild on offense. Like when you have a new quarterback, and he's probably not a blue chip five star guy. It's it's hard to build your offense. He's seeking advisory right now, okay. so there's no decision made on him yet. So we'll see what happens there. But um, like I said, I think the issue is not do they give him a boost? Yes, uh, will they win seven games this year or whatever? Like it'll be easy to boost up from that. But can they get him to the point where Texas is comfortable? with retaining Tom Herman, ooh, I don't know. And then if you're Chris Ash, <laughs> what's bad about that is, um, you know, two years in a row, you're getting fired. Like, that's tough yes. in coaching to overcome. I mean, Chris Ash, couldn't you just went up to to Washington State and, and, and been with Mike Leach? I mean, come on, man. Was that asking too much well, to go to Little Pullman, Washington? So, <laughs> I'm just joking. No, no, no. But, like, <laughs> we, we can talk about that for a sec, though, because wouldn't it have been – a more prudent decision on his behalf to maybe go to a school that's not a blue chip, you know, yes. brand in college football, but yes. it's more security and you can do all the things you need to do instead of a program that's a sinking yep. ship. Yep. That's that's my thought on some of these offensive coordinators, defensive coordinators that go places. Sometimes don't you want to think long term, especially at Chris Ash's point of his career? where he's been to some of these really good programs. Why not just yeah. go somewhere where, and, and look, I mean, there's a lot of programs that are on the up and up too, or just get some attention and have your freedom and yep. running things the way you want to do it. So I agree well, with you and, on that. That's a great point. Yeah. And I, you know, I was talking to, again, some people I know in coaching and, and the question that they always ask is, you know, for example, if you're a wide receivers coach and that's what you've been for your career, but you haven't called plays, do you take a step down to potentially call plays and maybe take a step up to a coordinator role at a, a you know, power five a high profile school to maybe where you can become a head coach? Or do you just stay coaching wideouts, um, hope you get your break at your school as a co-coordinator? Or maybe somebody believes in you and picks you up somewhere and you do it like that. Um, yeah. That's what these coaches like. That is the question they have to ask themselves. Like, do I go somewhere, maybe take a little less money, but it's a better more stable situation or do I bet on myself and go to Texas that might have some issues but yeah yeah no you're exactly right it's one of those things nowadays everybody has their own agenda you just never know what you're going to do I guess that was the right decision that uh he thought he needed to make at that point we'll see how it shakes out uh that is a wrap on the last edition of press pass for 2019 crazy it flew by but don't forget we have Great new stuff coming in 2020. And you can always follow us on Instagram at Press Pass. Go like all of our stuff. You can see, you know, what new is coming up. And then, of course, on our own personal platform, I'm at Kayla Anderson TV on Twitter. And Joshua, where can the peeps go to find you? They can find me Twitter, Instagram at RIP underscore JEP. Also, go ahead, wherever you get your podcast, Apple Music's where I go. Uh, hit that subscribe button. Also give us five-star review. That's something we appreciate. Any feedback that we can get to make this podcast better, we'll take it for sure. But yeah, go ahead, follow, uh, subscribe, all that. We're interactive. We love sports. So let's do yes. that one thing. 
Let's do it. Hey, good luck um, with the Rose Bowl on Wednesday. Happy New Year to you and your family. And I can't wait for episode 60 in 2020, my friend. Happy New Year to you as well. I'm looking forward to it too. And Happy New Year to you guys. Thanks for listening. We'll be back here next week. Take care. For the ones who know that a little late is always too late and that the clock doesn't stop just because you're missing a part, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry. And our KeepStock inventory management solutions help ensure you have the right stuff in the right place at exactly the right time. Visit Granger.com slash KeepStock to learn more. Granger for the ones who get it done.